Let me just say, uh, for the first opportunity that I can from the platform, happy Father's Day to every dad that is here. We're so glad that you've chosen to, to celebrate uh, on such a special day with us here. I, I don't know uh, the history of Father's Day. I don't know if they just automatically planned it on Sunday because of Sunday services or what. But uh, as, as uh, Pastor John was mentioning, it is great to be able to celebrate our earthly fathers, if we still have them here with us, but even more celebrating our Heavenly Father, who is always with us, who promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And, um, and I, don't, I, I just can't think of a better day to celebrate Father's Day than on a Sunday, uh, when we can really celebrate what being a father is all about and who the greatest father of all is. And guys, it's not us. Just, just in case you were thinking it's us. It's not. It's God. But, you know, as I was preparing, uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, uh, I was getting ready this week for, for the message this week. I was thinking, what, 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 can I, what can I talk about on Father's Day? And the only thing that came to my mind, or at least one of the first things that I looked up uh, on Google, was Father's Jokes. So I'm going to share a few as we're looking to Mark. Mark is in the New Testament. Uh, but I found these Father's uh, Day jokes, and I thought they were great. Why don't they have Father's Day sales? Because fathers are priceless. What do you call a person who is not a dad who makes dad jokes? A faux pas. What did the cheerleader bring her dad for breakfast on Father's Day? Cheerios. Cheerios. Where did the cow family go on Father's Day? To the movies. Why did the Bean children give their dad a, a sweater for Father's Day? He was chilly. Chilly. What do nice pirates do on Father's Day? Take out the garbage without being asked. <laughs> Why do sons love Father's Day so much? Because it's always on Sunday. What did the panda give his daddy on Father's Day? A bear hug. <laughs> I see the laugh getting less and less as we keep going. <laughs> Why did the kids give their dad a blanket for Father's Day? Because they thought he was the coolest dad. We'll end with that. That's enough of the, uh, the corny dad jokes. But honestly, dad's uh, so great to, to celebrate on a day like today and, uh, and, and just taking time, even if we're just a corny dad, uh, to celebrate what dad is all about and... and um, and as I said, celebrating our Father, which is in heaven, and the blessings that he's given us each and every day. It's just awesome, awesome to celebrate. Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. We're going to look at a father that had faith. You know, every father and Christian man ought to be a man of faith. Our lives as men should reflect and demonstrate one that is trusting in God and believing the promises of God. And as fathers, we ought to model for our family what it means to follow after God, to obey God's word. In fact, we've been given a position of leadership in our homes, and, and that position was given to us by God to reflect the power, to, to lead in the power and with the filling of God's spirit. We, we are to, to reflect an image of God for our family. Not that we are God, but that we reflect who God is and, and what our Heavenly Father does and, and what part of His character and personality is towards us. But how exactly do we do that? 
In fact, you might, you might be here and you might say, Pastor, I, I'm a man of little faith, or maybe no faith. Is there a way to become a man of faith? If, if, if I've been a father that's not leading by faith, can I begin to lead by faith? Or is that something that it takes years to happen? Or, or how exactly does it work? In Mark chapter 9, we're going to read the story of, of a father that, that came to Jesus with no faith and left full of faith. He came to Jesus faithless and left Jesus faithful. Notice, if you will, in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, his story. It says like this, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, saw him straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and, and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. It's amazing to see what this father did for his son. It's amazing to see the progression of a man without faith coming to faith when he met Jesus. I want you to notice if you're taking notes this morning that as we start the story, we see a, a desperate father. I want you to notice that this father has come to Jesus and his disciples looking for help. His son has been possessed by an evil spirit since his, his son was a boy. Now, the scriptures don't say how old he was, but they considered the transition between uh, going from a boy to a man at around age 13. And so, he was probably younger than 13, whether he was 11, 10, 9, the Bible doesn't say, but he was, he was just a boy, and apparently, ever since he was born, he had this, this dumb spirit, this, this evil spirit that was within him, and, and that would make him have almost like these epileptic seizures. He, he would start foaming at the mouse, and his body would become rigid, and, and it's been years of this, and, and this father now is looking for help. We don't know if he's a widower. The Bible doesn't say if he had a wife or not. But we know that he was caring for his son. And in doing so, now he's getting towards the end of his rope. He doesn't know what to do. He's probably taken him to a few different doctors. And the doctors haven't been able to help. They haven't really been able to give him a solution to what's happening to his son. And, and now he's, 
he's thinking, well, where else do I go? And so he hears that Jesus and his disciples are in town. He's heard that Jesus is, is this rabbi, this master that can do miracles, that can do things that other teachers can't do, that, that, the, that the Pharisees can't do. He, he's this religious man, and his disciples are these religious people. So he looks for an answer in religion. He goes to the town asking for Jesus and asking for the disciples. He's kind of at his last option. He doesn't know where else to go, no, doesn't know what else to do. And so he's there. He begins to talk with his disciples about what's going on with his son. Jesus, at the moment when he gets there, isn't there yet. In fact, if you begin the chapter, you'll find that in verse number one, Jesus is on a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And uh, there he transfigures and uh, Moses comes down and Elijah comes down to meet them on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, uh, and Jesus has that time and then they disappear and, and Peter, not knowing what to say, says we should put a, an altar for, for all three of you, one for each of you and, and a voice comes and says, no, worship and follow Jesus. He is my son in whom I'm uh, well pleased. And he clarifies that an altar is not to be given to Moses for the law that he gave or to Elijah for the prophecies as a prophet, but only to Jesus, who is the only Son of God, the only one worthy to be worshipped. And, and so he's on that mountain. He's on his way back to the, to the town. And while he's doing that, this man shows up. And he's talking to those religious followers of Jesus, these, these men that had done miracles in the name of Jesus, that had healed others uh, in, in other towns and in other places and maybe even a few in his town. But when he, when he gets there with his son and he, and he shows them, hey, this is, this is uh, what's happening to my son, they, they, they begin to, to pray for him. They begin to really try to do whatever it is, maybe the, the ritual that they were following to heal people. I don't know if it was maybe putting their hands on them. We see in the Bible that sometimes healing took place when you would put your hands on the person that was sick or, or maybe they would just uh, say a quick prayer. I, I don't know exactly what the ritual was, but they're there trying to help him. You know, it made me think as I was reading about this dad that was going and looking for help, what was going on in his life. He was just in a desperate situation, trying to figure out, how do I help my son? It made me think, because many times in life, when we're facing problems and we don't know what to do, we usually look towards religion for an answer. We, we usually look to a church or, or someone that has some sort of religious affiliation to try to help us, give us guidance. I remember talking not too long ago to... Uh, one of our um, regular tenders that, that comes and, and uh, we were at a men's meeting and we were talking and uh, he was sharing with me a little bit of his testimony and, and when he was going through a, a really difficult trial in his life and he said, I, re I remember that I went to different churches and I was just looking, I went to those people, uh, they're called I think Jehovah's Witness or something like that, he said, and, and, uh, and I looked for them but, you know, um, didn't really stick to it, didn't really understand it, didn't really get, get really with them too much. And then I even looked at that Mormon religion and, and the same thing he said. And, and so I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out what I was going to do. 
He said, and then through that, I met someone that told me about your church, and that's when I came to your church. And began to watch different videos, and, and then someone explained to me a little bit of the gospel, and, and that's when I understood that I needed Jesus to be my Savior, and I put my faith in Him. But oftentimes in, in the difficulties of life, in the trials of life, we look to church and religion to help us. You know the problem with religion? There's a problem with religion, and that is that religion really cannot help. It cannot help. Uh, he found that he was going to look for religion for answers, but religion didn't have any answers for him. As the disciples are attempting to heal his son, he's starting to figure out it's not working. <laughs> They're not able to heal his son. There's, there's no difference in, in his condition. Uh, the, the touch of the disciples' hands no longer is, is doing what it did for others. I don't know if he was around when some of the disciples healed other people. But if he was, he's noticing that his son's not getting healed. And he's finding that religion really cannot help. Can I say if you're a man or a person in a desperate situation of life, and you're thinking religion's going to get me out of this, religion is the answer, can I tell you religion is not the answer. In fact, you'll find that at least according to some researchers and, and, and according to academics, there's over 4,000 religions in our world. 4,000. In fact, one website said there was 4,200. And yet our world is still plagued with war. And yet our cities are still plagued with crime and violence. And yet our homes are still being destroyed by selfishness and pride. Unspeakable atrocities and tragedies seem to occur daily. And why is that? Because religion's not the answer. You see, what Jesus was going to offer this father was not religion. And what happened with the disciples is that they got really used to just doing things a certain way. If you, if you read in chapter 6, 7... God gave them the power. Jesus gave his disciples the power to heal people and diseases. And they did. But in chapter 9, they couldn't. What happened? Perhaps they just got too used to just having to put my hands, say a prayer, and there you go. In fact, Jesus, by the time you get to verse number 30 of this chapter, is telling them that the reason you couldn't do what you wanted to do and take out that dumb spirit is because you lack prayer. You lack power. There is no spiritual power, not because I haven't given you that spiritual power, but because instead of in prayer and seeking uh, the, the spirit of God to lead you and fill you in using that power, you, you begin to think that the power was in you because of you. You begin to think that just doing these religious things will bring the power of God and that's never been the case. There is a major difference between faith in God, and I'm talking about true faith in God, and religion. Religion in this world, and I'm using the, the term religion as the world would use that term, has always been a religious system. 
you look at those 4,000 religions that are in our world, and you'll find that all of them are based on you doing something. You've got to earn the God, whoever, whatever God it is that is your God, you still got to earn his favor. Look at the Muslim religion. You've got to earn God's favor, and if you don't, man, destruction's coming your way. Hinduism has a plurality of gods, but even in the plurality of their gods, they got to do something to earn his love. It's all works-based. Even Judaism, that would use some of our Bible, at least the Old Testament of our Bible, and, and claims Jehovah as their God, has created a system to get God to approve of them and love them. Religion always does that, but that's not the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Religion isn't a way, uh, I I should say faith, and true faith in Christ isn't something that you earn. It's something that Christ did. It's something that Christ does in our heart. So we see a desperate father looking for help, goes to religion and finds that religion doesn't have the answer. But notice in the story, not only do you see this father who's desperate in a desperate situation, but now you see him doubting. By the way, religion will always make you doubt. Since religion doesn't have the answers, it will make you doubt. Now this this dad is sitting there beginning to doubt everything. And it's at this time that Jesus shows up onto the scene. Now, you'll notice in verse 14 that the scribes and the Pharisees were there. They're arguing with the disciples. I don't know what they're arguing about. Mark doesn't really tell us, but they're arguing about something. To the point where Jesus joins the crowd and says, um, what are you guys arguing about? What, what, what is it? What, what, why are you, that word there, question, in, 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 the, in the King James translation, uh, verse 16, is, is really the word like arguing, debating. What, what are you guys debating about? What, what are you arguing about? And so the father tells Jesus, here's what's happening. It's, it's, that, it's that I brought my son. I thought your disciples could, could help me, and they, they can't. Nothing's changed. And suddenly, he's beginning to doubt. He's beginning to doubt what Jesus can do, what the disciples can do, what faith can do. In fact, he begins to doubt even the power and compassion of Jesus. As he tells Jesus what is happening, Jesus, first of all, says, Oh, faithless generation. As you read that, it could come across very harsh. But I want you to know that in the, in the original language, it's not coming off harsh. Jesus isn't saying this like, You guys are pathetic losers. He's not saying that. Anybody ever read a text from somebody and read it wrong? Right? Because we can't really hear the, the tone of the text, and, and you're not sure if they're joking, are they not joking? Um, you know, is, is, is this, like, how am I supposed to take what, what is written? And sometimes we can read the Bible, and, and, and you can feel that way, right? Uh, and so uh, there are clues in the original language that kind of help us. And, and Jesus here in the original language is just saying, look, that, 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 you're faithless. The, the problem isn't that you don't have enough religion in your life. The problem isn't that I don't have power or compassion for your situation. It's the lack of faith here. 
It says, oh, faithless generation, notice in verse 19, how long shall I be with you? How, how long shall I suffer you? He said, bring him to me. They bring the boy, and as soon as they bring the boy, an attack happens. So Jesus gets to see it firsthand, and, and he asks the dad, how long has this been going on? The dad said, years. Years, since he, since he was young, it's been happening. And it's interesting what he says at the end, what his doubt takes him to say. Look at the end of verse 22. He said, but if thou canst do anything. He's doubting even if Jesus can do anything. Listen, he's saying, your disciples have tried, Jesus. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. And I'm not even sure if you can do anything. You know, there are times in life when we doubt what can be done in our lives and in the situations we face. We doubt that there can be change of any kind. It kind of seems like we've tried everything and everything's failed, even church, even the people of church. And we begin to doubt God as a result. We begin to doubt what God can do. We begin to doubt the character of God and the person of God. I remember um, reading online about a situation that a pastor in California had, and he fell morally, and uh, the church, of course, had to discipline him. He had to get out of the pastorate, and, and there was this podcaster that used to go to that church, and he was following the story, and, and um, a, a, a few days, I want to say, after that broke out, he, he went on his podcast, and, and he just decided to say, you know what, I can no longer be a person of faith. He said, I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm not even sure I want to continue believing in God. It seems like everyone I've looked up to has fallen. And because of their lack of faith, he was beginning to doubt and is doubting. Maybe faith isn't real. Maybe, maybe God isn't as loving as others say that he is. By the way, it's interesting to note that the lack of of his faith, the doubting of his faith was a result of the disciples' lack of prayer. You notice in verse number 29, his disciples had asked him privately afterwards why they couldn't cast him out. In verse 29, he said, this kind comes forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Their lack of prayer, their lack of spiritual Power, their lack of faith in their life caused others to doubt. By the way, that should be a challenge to us as Christians. Man, that ought to be a challenge to you. Listen, if people in your household are doubting, it might be because of your faith. It might be because your lack of spiritual power is causing your wife or your children to question if church is even really true. We find a father that is doubting, doubting the power and the compassion of Christ. But notice what Christ has said. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The man had no reason to doubt because look at what Jesus by his own word says. He says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. 
souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus says, I have compassion. Listen, you're, you're tired. You're desperate. Come unto me. I'll give you rest. But here's this father doubting. Doubting that compassion. Not only does he doubt the power and compassion of Jesus, he doubts the willingness of Jesus to do something. Not only says if, but he's like, if you can do anything. He's doubting if Jesus even wants to help him. Have you ever had the thought, maybe God doesn't want to help me? Sometimes we can say, no, God's all powerful and God can do anything. But if he can, why is my situation not changing? Why do I have to keep dealing with this year after year after year? Why is my family situation the way it is? And why is my personal life and my, and my job and, and, my, and, and, and what's going on in my life, why does that continue? If God is so all-powerful, maybe he just doesn't want to help me. Because this man has gone to religion and found religion not to be sufficient. Because he's gone into God's people and found that God's people are faithless, he begins to doubt. He's doubting the power of God. He's doubting the compassion of God. And now he's even doubting the willingness of God. Let me just say this morning, you know that God wants to help you? He wants to help you. He doesn't have to help you, but he wants to help you. It's not a lack of compassion or willingness that stops us from receiving God's help. It's a lack of faith. That's why Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to suffer you? How, how, how long do, do I have to keep saying this before we get it into our heads? Faith. Faith is the way in which we receive the help from God. Faith opens our eyes to see the desire for God to want to help us. I put Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 in your, in your notes there. Matthew 27, or 23, 37, when Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem. And he says these words, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What was Jerusalem's problem? It wasn't not having the Bible in their culture. They had the Bible. They had the same Bible that you and I had. Not because they didn't have a teacher. They had the very Son of God amongst them. But it was a lack of faith. A lack of faith stops God from working in your life. He wants to. A lack of faith blinds us to see the compassion and love of God for us. We live in a world very blind to that. It's amazing to me. It used to be just those that were considered secular, that didn't want the Bible, had this thinking. But I was reading an article of a representative here in Texas from the Austin area. 
they're trying to introduce a bill to bring the Ten Commandments back to school. And, and this man says, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a man of God. And he goes to some Presbyterian theological seminary. And, and uh, it's a very liberal one. And he says, no, no, public prayer, that's, that's even against the Bible. Because Jesus said, don't, don't pray in public before men. Now we got these that are claiming to be Christians denying what the Bible says. Jesus prayed publicly. The context of the verse that he's trying to use is way out of context. Jesus was talking about those Pharisees that tried to make themselves look so religious and so much better than everyone else. And, and Jesus said, avoid having that pride and vanity in your prayer life. But not to not pray publicly. Yeah, that's what we're facing now. People that even want to doubt the clear truths of God's word. In fact, the article was saying that at this man's church, they're beginning to ordain gay pastors and, and transgender pastors for their churches in which they're associated with. This representative says, that's the kind of Christianity I can get behind. Because it's religion and not truth. We find that this father was desperate and he was doubtful. But that's when you hit the climax of the story. Because notice what Jesus responds to him. This is how Jesus responds to the doubt. It, it's really hard in the, in the King James Version. It says, it says like, if thou canst believe. Uh, but in the original, it's like Jesus is saying this. If I, could, if I could paraphrase it a different way, Jesus is saying, you're questioning if I can do something? So Jesus said, you're questioning if I can do something? If I want to do something? And then he makes this next statement. All things are possible to him that believeth. See, it's not a matter if I have the power to do this. If I have compassion for you. If I want to help you. It's not that. That's the wrong question. If I have that power. The question is, do you have that faith? Are you willing to believe that I want to help you and that I can help you? And notice the man upon hearing that and understanding it's not a, a matter of God lacking power. It's a, a matter of him lacking faith. And he cries out, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. In that moment, his doubts no longer held him captive to his situation. And in that moment, no longer did he see Jesus as some religious leader. In that moment, faith became greater than his problem. In that moment, he realized, I get what you're saying. If, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I do believe. Can you help my unbelief? I want you to notice there, if you're taking notes, that his faith was slightly greater than his doubt. I believe, he says, help my unbelief. He didn't say, I believe, no doubt about it. He said, I believe, but, but help my, my unbelief. <laughs> it's almost sounding like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. In fact, there's two ways to look at that phrase. I'm going to give you both ways to look at the phrase. One could be, I believe, 
Help thou my unbelief. Would you give me strength? Strengthen my faith so that I can believe all the way. That's one way of what he might be saying. Or a second way to look at it is that he's saying, I'm not sure 100%, but I am sure 51%. My unbelief is at 49%. I'm I'm not totally unbelieving, but... I feel like I'm believing more than I'm not believing. Can I say, God works in our life not when we have no doubts, but when our faith is greater than our doubts. I can tell you, as a a child of God, as a fellow believer with you, there are times in my life where I doubt. Where I doubt God. I doubt if he can do what he's promised he can do. I've questioned, what is God doing? Why is God allowing this? Where does God want me to go, and why would God want me to do that? Why would he want me to give that? The key isn't, I have no doubts. Look, I can tell you right now that I don't know exactly how it feels to die or what that process is like because I've never died. Now, my faith in what the Bible says makes me feel sure that when I die, heaven will be my home because I'm believing what the Bible says. Have I experienced that? No. Will I, if Jesus doesn't return before my time of death, then... But faith in the Christian life, to see God's power, just requires you to have more of a belief in what God says than the doubts that you have in your mind. This man said, I'm there. I I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You know what is amazing? What's amazing is that Jesus answered his request when the man only had 51% of faith. God healed his son. Jesus healed his son with just 51%. Let me ask you something. Do you have faith in God? I'm not talking about a religious faith that goes to church and does good works. I'm I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, This man was in a desperate situation. He was doubting if if God could do anything, if the Bible was true, if the people of God, these disciples, I mean, are they really, do they really have the truth? He's even doubting Jesus and his compassion and his love and his power and his willingness to help. But he gets to a point when Jesus said, no, I can help you. What's stopping me is your faithlessness. What's stopping You and I from having a relationship is your lack of faith. Because when you have true faith, all things are possible. All things. That man, that day and in that moment comes to a realization that he needs that relationship. And he puts his faith in Jesus. And notice that his faith was rewarded with the answer to his request. 
he cries out in faith, Jesus rebukes the spirit that was hurting the boy and, and heals him of his sickness. And for the first time ever, this father is now able to speak to his son without the evil spirit tormenting him. For the first time ever, this father was able to play and carry on with his son without worry or, or suffering. He now could delight in his son and enjoy his son. His faith in Jesus made all the difference in the world. Can I say that today is no different? Faith continues to be the key to living and receiving the blessings of God. But it's going to require faith of you and me. A faith that confesses our need for the forgiveness of sin. Our need for a Savior. Our need to follow His Word and believe His Word. And I say, first of all, have you made that decision? And now I'm not just talking to dads. I'm talking dad, mom, son. Have you made that decision? The Bible says without that faith, there is no forgiveness of sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith allows us to receive the grace of God. The grace of God is the forgiveness of our sins. The grace of God is the Spirit of God indwelling in us, and it's through faith that that happens. Have you made that decision? If you have, let me ask you something. Are you living every day in that faith? John challenged the church of Ephesus in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. So I want to challenge you dads this morning, specifically to live a life of faith. Not a life of religion, a religion that leads to doubting God or that will leave you to have greater frustrations in life like this dad had. Now I'm talking about a life that believes God and trusts what he can do and, and believes what his word says. You see, our children need us to live that kind of life. Our spouses need us, dads, husbands, to live that kind of life. Can I say we need to live that life, dads, for our own sakes? So that we might experience joy and have peace. So the question is, will you live a life of faith today? Will you be willing to say, I'm just going to have 51% of faith in my life? Because with just that much, God can reward you. God can bless you. And you can see the power of God in your life. And in your family's life. And in your marriage. You'll see how God makes the greatest difference through faith. I want to challenge you dads this morning. Let's live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you that in this passage of scripture, we can, we can see a dad that began coming to Jesus with no faith at first just looking for answers and looking for help and thinking that maybe just any religious person could help and, and found a lack of faith in even some religious people that he knew. 
Father, we see as the doubts begin to creep in his life that he began to doubt even of your power and of your compassion. Oh, but the moment that he realized that faith is what he needed. He realized that faith could change his life. The moment he made the decision to put his faith in Jesus, all of that changed. He saw and felt your blessing. And his home was never the same after that. Father, help us as dads today to live by that kind of faith. A faith that is leading our family. Faith that is encouraging our families. Father, I pray for every person, not just dad, but mom and children. They make decisions today to live by faith and not by sight. That they would believe your word trust in your word and follow your word and live lives that are spirit filled be with us and help us to make that decision today I pray in Jesus precious name